take out your Bibles and we're in Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, last time as we began our study through Ezra, if you're new on Wednesday nights, uh, we're going through the Old Testament verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, so we are in Ezra, page 609. Last time, as we kind of as an introduction, as we moved into this, Ezra, we tr- talked about this before. When we went through First and Second Chronicles, most people believe that Ezra wrote First and Second Chronicles as well. And you know, history, looking back at the time, the, the time of the kings, primarily focusing in on the kings of Judah, and and there again, continued falling away from the Lord, and then the Lord ultimately dealing with their disobedience and idolatry. By having the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, come in and take them away to captivity, we talked to the fact that there were three waves of them that were deported. Ultimately, the last time when he did, Nebuchadnezzar had the whole city of Jerusalem leveled, including the temple and everything, just said, you know, I'm, I'm done with these people uh, continuing to raise up and rebel, so just wipe out the city, the temple completely wiped out. And so now, when we, as we pick up when, when Ezra begins... We're 70 years after that first deportation, about 50 years after the last one. And we spoke of the fact that, again, prophesied through, through Jeremiah and Isaiah, the time frame, and then specifically the name of Cyrus the king would be the one to send the children of Israel, the children of Judah, back into the, back into the land to rebuild the temple. And we looked at that last time. Just want to point out the fact, again, it mentioned that the Lord stirred the spirit in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to send them. But he also stirred within the heart a large number of people to go back. It wasn't that all of the Jews went back the first time. As a matter of fact, we're going to see three waves of them coming back as we continue to study through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And then even in that, not all of them come back. But this first group, a very specific and special group of people, we looked at roughly numbering 50,000, and as a matter of fact, 49,697 to be exact, um, that went back. And again, those that were moved in their heart and in their spirit by the Lord to go back and to do this. And we mentioned that we went through in chapter two, uh, the detailed list that is there. So we pick up. In chapter 3 now, verse 1, it says, Now when the seventh month came, and that's on the Jewish calendar, that usually falls somewhere around September, October time frame in our calendar today. When that came, the seventh month came, and the sons of Israel were in the cities. We mentioned that last time. They came back and they settled within the cities around Jerusalem. Not all 50,000 could settle in Jerusalem. I mean, again, it's in total disarray. So they settled in cities close by around there. It says the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. The people gathered together now after finding a place, no doubt having to build up something of, a, of shelters and homes to live in when they first get there. They get that organized. But now comes the time, this first uh, feast time, if you would. We're going to see in a couple of verses feast, the Feast of Tabernacles specifically celebrated. But in the seventh month, it, it starts off with the Day of Atonement. 
and then the Feast of Trumpets followed by the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths that we're gonna look at, just touch on here real briefly in a moment. But in obedience now, they gather together as one man, it says. They come together united. Their hearts are united. They're, they're, they're united in one purpose. And we're gonna see what that purpose is as we continue to move, move through this. Verse two, then Joshua, the son of uh, Josedek and his brothers, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the, Sh- the son of Sheltiel, and his brothers arose and note, built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. I think that this is, this is awesome when we look at this, and even when we'll get a little bit more information. Actually, let's look at verse three, and then I'll tie it both together. Verse three, so they set up the altar on its foundations, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Moving back, again, they've been gone anywhere 50 to 70 years. Land has been desolate since then. Virtually uninhabited for the most part. People, wandering peoples, no doubt, coming through. They come back, and it tells us, after, after just spending a little time setting up a little home, they all gather there in Jerusalem, and it says, it tells us here that they're terrified. That they're, 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 the people that are around them, their situation, their circumstances, they're terrified. And what does it tell us that they do first? They don't build a wall around the city to protect themselves from the people that they're terrified from. They don't don't put an army together and start training militarily to protect the land that they've just come back from. They take care of first things first. They settle into this thing. They all gather together now after a short time apart. They all come back together now at this appointed time, and it says they offer burnt offerings to the Lord. They, they come back, and they follow what it is that God prescribed for them, the process that they go through and the things that they go through to be obedient to him, to be restored to him, the sacrifices that were given were there. Again, all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice eventually of the Lord Jesus, suffering and dying in our place, the Lamb of God for, given for the sins of the world, pointing to that. But in this time, that was the way. God said, this is how you honor me. This is how we have fellowship together. Is, and, it's, and it's required to go through this. We get things so backwards sometimes, don't we? I mean, it's, they went there, what, the purpose, when we look back at chapter one as we went through, they went back to build the temple. And you might think, okay, well then let's get busy building the temple. Let's get busy working. I mean, that's gotta please God if we you know, get, you know, get here right away and we all start diving in and we all start working and again, getting things out of order. First things first. I was thinking as I was going through that again, there's building the temple would not be a bad thing. I mean, it's again, it's why they went back. Building a wall around the city is not a bad thing. We're going to see as we continue to move forward and study through Nehemiah. That's why Nehemiah goes, you know, doing these types of things, not bad things, but first things first. I was thinking as I was going through that book of Revelation Chapter two, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, 
and you put to, to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, you've found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Verse six, yet this you do have, you, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That Jesus speaking through John says, I know, I see all of these things that you're doing. I, 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 I know, I have detailed information about what you're doing, your, your deeds, your diligence, the facts that you toil, that you persevere, the discernment that you have, that you can't tolerate false teaching, that you, that you look through that, that, that you understand what true doctrine is and you won't back down from that, that your dedication and, and you, disdain, you have disdain, you hate sin, you hate the things that I hate. However, verse four says, but, but, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. All of those wonderful deeds, all of the hard work, the perseverance, the, the, the sticking to the word of God, all of this stuff, Jesus says, you know what? That may look good on the outside, but without a heart of love for me, losing, leaving that, he doesn't say you lost it. That's a big point to me. You didn't lose your first love. You left it. You've, you've wandered away. And being zealous for the things of God really doesn't matter without being jealous for the love of God. And it's a matter of, of prioritizing. And I love this about these people. Again, those that God stirred up in their heart, they understood that. They understood that we blew it before. My, uh, my ancestors, the people before me blew it before. Jesus said, you, or the, God said through the prophets, you, you know, you, all of this stuff, you, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And they're like, we don't want to make that same mistake again. So as they begin, they begin on the right foot. They begin moving forward. Work needs to be done and it'll get done. But first things first, we worship God. We, do, we, we establish that relationship with him. I think it's interesting. It, notice God doesn't chastise them for the fact that they were terrified for what surrounded them. I think, I think a lot of times people get beat up way too much. You know, you say, you know, I'm, I'm really going through something and I'm, and I'm worried about it. it. As a matter of fact, it terrifies me. And, and somebody will come along and say, you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a, oh, don't. you know what? That's true. That's what the Bible says. However, if they, if they didn't have faith, they'd still be in Babylon. They didn't have faith, they'd have turned back and gone back to Babylon. The fact that they're still here shows me tremendous faith. And they're honest enough to go before God and say, God, I'm scared. I'm, I, I, and by doing this and worshiping God this way, they're saying, without you, we, we have no hope. We're not building a wall. We're not putting an army together. We're not even planting crops. We're going to trust you to provide for us and to protect us. But I'm going to be honest with you, I'm scared. And God hears that prayer. And God honors that prayer. They realized that they were absolutely, totally dependent on him. I mean, I, th I think Peter gets a really bad rap for looking at the storm and sinking and crying out and saying, Save me, Lord, and Jesus having to reach down and pull him up. And what does Jesus say? He goes, where's your faith? And he puts him back in the boat. And I know, I know, I know that I know that I know. It's not recorded for us, but I know it. 
Jesus didn't say, sit over there, Peter, until you, and you think about what you just did. <laughs> I have a feeling that Jesus sat down next to Peter and put his arm around him and said, dude, you were walking on water. Next time, don't take your eyes off of me. Morning and evening, another thing, I had that highlighted, those two words, morning and evening. Guys, devotional time, it's so sweet, first thing in the morning, spending time with the Lord, getting ready for the day, last thing at night, saying prayers, reading a little bit, worshiping God, morning and evening, keeping that first love. Well, verse four, they celebrated. Again, I... I, I love this. They, they, they worship God. They set it up. They get it all going. And then they celebrate. I mean, this, and this is a celebration. They celebrate the Feast of Booths. This is commentators and reading. If you, I, I, I encourage you. There's a lot of great resources out there about the talk about the Jewish feasts and how Jesus fulfills them all. There's a lot of great resources. But all of them agree that the, the Feast of Booths was the biggest party of them all. It was the biggest festival celebration of them all because they're remembering how faithful God was during their wilderness wandering years. And again, how they were completely relying on God for, for all of their provision, all of their food, all of their protection, everything else, and looking back on that and saying, God was always faithful. And I can imagine what a celebration that would have been at this moment because again, in a situation where, man, we got to rely on God for everything. But remember how faithful he was in the past. Remember how good he's always been to us. Every problem we've ever run into has been because we have been unfaithful and walked away from him. He has never let us down, ever. John Randall, uh, one of, I heard him say one time, and it's just stuck with me every, ever since, God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. He is always faithful. And they are celebrating this, the, uh, the feast that goes on. And notice, as it is written and offered the fixed number of burnt offerings daily according to the ordinance as each day required. So it's laid out for them very specifically. And we have a copy of that. You can read that if you like to back in, in, in the books of the law. But this is the first time most of them, if not all of them, had ever been a part of this. In their captivity, they, never, they may have celebrated or, or done it a different way, but none of the burnt offerings were there. They didn't build the booths. They didn't follow it as it's prescribed. So they had to look it up and say, guys, this is what we do. No doubt many of even the priests knew it and were just looking forward to this day, this time that we can honor God and do it as it's prescribed. We take our freedom so for granted. <laughs> I, I, again, I said at least 50 years, because it was 50 years prior to this that everything was destroyed. Many of them, no doubt, were probably part of that first wave with Daniel and them, hadn't even seen Jerusalem for 70 years, and were godly people. These are the ones that, again, God stirred in their hearts, the godly people, and in captivity and sitting there thinking, oh, how awesome it would be to be there. It's the seventh month. We should, be, we should be the day of atonement and then trumpets and then booths. We should be doing that, but we can't because we're there. Now they're able to do this. And again, we take it so for granted that we can do this tonight, that we can gather here and worship like we did earlier with our arms lifted high, singing out. We, we each 
holding our own copy of God's word in our hands, take that so for granted where we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world right now are meeting in secret, two, three, four of them, because to meet any more than that would tip off the fact that they're, that they're Christians and getting together. What a blessing it is that we can do this. We need to always be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. Well, they're sticking with this obediently, but I also, I, I like this too, in verse five afterward, there was continual burnt offering. Also for the new moons and for all the fixed festivals of the Lord that were consecrated. God laid all this out there like, man, we can't get enough of this. We've been without it for so long. And from everyone who offered a free will offering to the Lord. It's like all of that, yes, but then God always left that room for free will. If this is, you do this out of obedience, now this, a thank offering, free will offering out of just this, just overflowing joy of the Lord. Verse six, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They didn't do one thing out to begin with on anything else yet. This was the first. We're gonna get there. We're gonna offer sacrifices. We're gonna do things the way it is. We're gonna get, we're gonna get in that right place with the Lord established. And then verse seven starts with then. Once first thing's done first, then we move on to the next. Then they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and, the, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the, the, the Tyrians to bring cedar wood from Lebanon to the sea, of, sea at Joppa, which is what they built, the cedars they used in the first temple when Solomon built it. David had acquired all of that for him. According to the permission, notice again, that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Interesting, just note that word permission doesn't mean like Cyrus said it was okay. Of course it's okay. I mean, the, the Sidonians aren't going to say, you want to buy that from us? Did Cyrus say that was okay? I mean, they're going to sell it no matter what. That really literally means that he gave not only permission, but provision that, that this is coming. And again, we talked last time how awesome that is, how God moves on the heart of somebody who's not even a follower of Yahweh God to help also fund the building, part of the building of the new temple. Verse eight, now, in the second year, of their coming to the house of God. So everything's now is finally ready. They have the provisions there. In the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who came from the captivity to Jerusalem began to work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and older to oversee the work of the house of God. So they start, finally start working on rebuilding the temple. Then Joshua with his sons and brothers stood united with Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah and the sons of Henadad with their sons and the brothers, the Levites, to oversee the workmen in the temple of God. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. So they had it all laid out again according to how it's recorded. And we, we talked about that even going through in, in 2 Kings and in, uh, in 1 Chronicles. It's all laid out. They have it all set. They finally get the foundation done and they break out in praise and worship. Verse 11, they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good. And his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. 
And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. No doubt with me when I see this and they talk about how he's good and he's long-suffering and he's kind and they praise the Lord because the foundation of the house. No doubt that's partly because, if not virtually completely because, God said it was going to happen. You're going to go away because of your disobedience and everything, but I am going to bring you back here. We've looked at those prophecies in the last few weeks. God bringing them back. And now here it is. The foundation of the temple is there, and they break out in praise and shouting and glorifying God. Verse 12 says, Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. And again, we don't know how many of the 50,000 people are here, but a large number of them. Most of them totally excited. The young people who haven't, haven't been a part of any of this before know nothing but captivity. Now have freedom. Now see God doing a whole new work in the land. Brought them back here and beginning this whole thing. They're excited. They're, they're praising God. They're worshiping. They're shouting. But some people that have been around before, and they got to be, it says old. That's, that's an understatement because like I said, it's been at least, <laughs> at least 50 years since it was destroyed, 60, 70 years of, of captivity. And if they remember it, that means they were 15, 20 years old when they went. So th- there, there's a few that are, that are up there in age with this, seeing this, and it, they weep when they see this new because they remember the old one and it's gold and it's silver and it's all of, the, all of its glory. And they're like, this just, this just isn't it. This isn't what I remember. This isn't, and it says that they wept. Now, I believe reading through this and after reading a commentary that got me kind of thinking, I think some of them probably wept for joy because now this is being, this is being rebuilt. I remember what it was like, and it was, when we got here, there was nothing left, and now it's being rebuilt, wept for joy. But there is no doubt true, probably some that are saying, you know, but it, it, it's never going to be like it used to be. It's, it's not going to be like the, the glory days. It's not going to be, it's not going to be like that. However, I like the fact that the shouts of joy over, overdid all of that and the sound was heard far away. Chapter four starts out, it says, now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of exile were building the temple of, of the Lord God in Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's households. It's interesting because the way that reads, it's almost like they heard the shouting from their far off cities. Now, some probably lived close enough to hear that. But my, when, I, when I read this, and we're gonna see where this goes, Understand that there is never spiritual progress, God moving in great ways in and through his people and a move of the Lord. There's never that. That's never going to happen without warfare. The enemy is going to come. And I believe when it says that the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard, they heard 
the shaking in the spiritual world, if you would. Things have been a certain way for a long time. And now all of a sudden, they're starting to build the temple again. And that's sending shockwaves through the, the spiritual world, if you would. And we see here, and that they, that's not, there's, Ezra's not pulling any punches when he's speaking to this. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, the enemies of God, those that are against the work of God, when they heard that the temple was being built again, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the families, the heads of the father's household, and said to them, Let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God. And we have, and we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Asherhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. Their, their initial response as the enemies was, you know what we're going to do? Let's try to infiltrate. Let's try to get in there with them and disrupt it from within. If we can get them to compromise, if we can get them to coexist, you know, that, that'll be a way that we can tear apart the very fabric of, of what it is that's going on. And the interesting part about that is when, when they come with that and they say, hey, we're just like you. We worship the God that you do. Kind of. I mean, since, and the, the, what they're saying here when, when Asher Haddon, the king of Assyria, said, we've been sacrificing to your God since all the way back to, that's true. Back in 2 Kings chapter 17, when the northern tribes of Israel were taken off into captivity in Assyria, remember we talked about how the Assyrians and the Babylonians handled the, their captives very differently. The Babylonians would allow some to stay, but largely take, the, take some back, but leave a remnant there, but kind of rule them, but leave them there. The Assyrians didn't do that. The Assyrians relocated everybody. They took the Jews and relocated them somewhere, and then they took other captives from those places and brought them into Israel. And, that, and that's kind of how, that's how they did it. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, it tells us that the group that Assyria brought in all of a sudden, lions start attacking and killing them. And so they write back to the king of Assyria and said, the God that's here doesn't like us. <laughs> and <laughs> there's lions killing us. So would you send some people who understand this God to come here and help us out a little bit, help us figure out how to please him? So they did. Problem, those priests weren't honoring God anyway. They weren't, I mean, they weren't following God. That's how the Israelites got in the problem they were in. And this goes again all the way back to the first split of when, the, when Israel and Judah split. We, we saw the king of the north, the king of the south, and Solomon's son and, and all that. Anyway, Jeroboam in the north, the sin of Jeroboam was not that he said, turn away from Yahweh God and, and worship these other gods. It was, okay, we're gonna follow God, but we're gonna follow God my way. And we're going to set up different ways that we can worship him and different places to, to offer sacrifices to him and put golden calves up and, and, and Dan and Bethel and, and these different places when God very specifically said, you worship me in Jerusalem. So when they bring the priests back that were from that, he says, well, this is how you do it, which is totally wrong. But 
That brings us to here. They said, well, we've been offering sacrifices to your God for a long time. Long to sacrifices with our gods and all of this other kind of stuff, but we're, we're pretty much the same. So let us help you. It's obviously a big job. You need help. Trying to get compromised, trying to get to come together. And I've been approached, we've been approached as a church many times to get involved in community service projects. Surprise has come up with a few things from time to time. And I understand that their heart's in the right place. But they called it um, compassionate surprise at one time. But it was basically any religious organization. We're all going to get together and work together in the community. And while that sounds good on the surface, and while I don't think it's a bad idea for individuals, obviously work with your neighbors and do this type of stuff. As a church, if we were going to get involved in an organization like that and be working with alongside them in the community, to me that sends a confusing message. It means that we are all together. We, are, we do all agree on the same things. And bottom line, I, I, I love... I love my Mormon neighbors, but they do not worship the same God we worship. They do not worship the same Jesus that we worship. And same thing with all different, other different types of cults and that type of thing. There, there, the, 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 we could be on the same page when it comes to, hey, let's help in, in, in these areas. But sending a conflicting message to the community that says, basically, we're all the same. So you can go here, you can go there, you can go. And so we have to be, we have to be careful there. So please hear me. I'm not saying don't, don't be involved with your, with your neighbors if they're Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, atheist, whatever. I mean, that's how we're, we're supposed to come along and, and, and share the gospel with them. We're supposed to be in them, but not, not apart with them, if that makes sense. And that's why, again, here it's very clear. We can't do that with you. They're not saying we're declaring war on you and we want you dead. As a matter of fact, we, we would love to come. We'd love it if you would turn to the true and living God. But you can't help us in this project. And we see that their, their true colors come out because Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's household of Israel said to them, you have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God. But we ourselves will together build the house, the house to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, king of Persia, has commanded us. We'll take care of it. Then, verse 4, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So we see their true colors. They didn't want to help. They didn't want to come alongside and, and, and do this. What they wanted was control. They wanted to totally disrupt things. And so when they didn't get their way, notice it says they discouraged the people. They frightened them. They frustrated them. Paul said he was in Ephesus and writing to the Corinthian church. He said, a wide door of effective service has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> Those two things go hand in hand. 
When God opens doors for us, he opens doors that no man can shut. And when we walk through those and we are obedient and you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and allowing God to use us individually or as a church, we have to know that the enemy is not going to like it. We have to know that there will be many adversaries. And they come and the enemy's tactics are, are the same. I mean, why would he stop? It, it works. Discouraging. No doubt the words that were coming that saying, just look at what you're building. I mean, you've heard the stories about what this was before. That's nothing like it. And you, by the way, didn't you see all of those older guys crying? How, how discouraging, I mean, how discouraging, you, got, you can't do this. How frightening, if you're frightening them, you're just embarrassing yourself. Even if you do build it, it's just gonna get knocked down again. I mean, you can't even defend yourselves. Hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel. They even, they even bring in hired guns. And it says that this continues all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, as we look through this and, and, and read through this, it's an important little insert here because if we were just gonna read this chronologically, we would skip right now to verse 24 because verses six through 23 is a parenthetical insertion if you would, and I'll explain a little bit more as, as we move through this. But as I've mentioned to you at the beginning last week, if you were here, Ezra is really in two, two sections. Chapters one through six is covering this part that we're talk, we've talked to up until here. We'll pick up again in verse 24, the building of the temple. When God uses Zerubbabel and these people here, Ezra's not on the scene yet. He's going to come by in another, about another 50 plus years. He's going to be, chapter 7 through 10 will be Ezra speaking in his time when he, is, when he is on the scene. In between those two, as we mentioned, is the time of Esther, which follows Nehemiah. So we'll, like I said, it's kind of a little out of order in our Bibles. So, when we, when we leave off here, he is saying that they've hired these people and they're frustrating and they're discouraging and they're frightening the people. And that took place from Cyrus, king of Persia, all the way up until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, verse six says, now in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Ahasuerus, reigned several after Cyrus. I'm just gonna run through this. You can get this information online if you want. You can take notes real fast if you want. Cyrus ruled from 560 BC to 530 BC. He gave the decree to rebuild, to go and rebuild the temple in 538 BC. He dies, and the next king, his name is Cambyses. He rules from 530 BC to 522 BC. Smyrtus 
rules for a couple of months in 522 BC. Then comes King Darius, who reigned from 522 BC to 486 BC. And we just mentioned until the reign of King Darius in verse 5. So this frustration has gone on there. After Darius, 522 BC to 486 BC, Ahasuerus is king. He is king, as we will see, and you can flip over there real quickly, but it, in, during the reign of Esther. 486 BC to 465 BC, then comes a name you may be familiar with, Artaxerxes. He reigns from 465 BC to 424 BC, and that is during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay? Then follows Darius II and Artaxerxes II after them. Now, I give you that chronology because that's important if we're going to understand what's going to take place now in these next verses because he's going to name some kings that you're going to be like, hang on a second, that doesn't fit. And it doesn't fit chronologically. He is just using this as an example of the type of stuff that was going on all the time. Again, remember, Ezra is writing this as history. So what he's going to write now actually is taking place during his time, live, if you would, and he's parenthetically inserting it here. Make sense? There'll be a test afterwards, so. Okay. So, verse 7, and in the days of Artaxerxes, again, so here there was a, they started to write accusations and bring accusations against them during the reign of Ahasuerus. But in the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Mithradeth, uh, Tabil, and the rest of the colleagues wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the text of the letter was written in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic. I think it's interesting that none of the people that are causing a problem are named until we get to verse 7. And that's because that's happening now. Ezra knows these knuckleheads. So... These guys are causing a problem. Verse 8, Rahum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes as follows. Then wrote Rahum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their colleagues, the judges and the lesser governors, the officials, the secretaries, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is the Elamites, and the rest of the nations, which the great and honorable O-snapper... That's the first, first Irish name in the Bible. Deported and settled in the city of Samaria and in the rest of the regions beyond the river. Amazing the list of people that a few people that want to cause a problem can get on board. And before you know it, you got all of these people on board. And what they're going to write, we're going to read in the letter, isn't even true. But it doesn't have to be true. You get a whole bunch of people on board to bring slanderous accusations against what's going on. Now, this is the copy of the letter which was sent to him. Verse 11. To King Artaxerxes, your servants, the men in the region beyond the river, and now let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Here again, we can notice that we're not talking about the same time frame, remember? They're not rebuilding the walls and the, and the foundations of the city with what we were talking about before. That takes place during Ezra's time. 
Now let it be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and it will damage the revenue of the kings. Now because we are in the service of the palace and it is not fitting for us to see the king's dishonor, because we only care about you, king, therefore we have sent and informed the king so that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers, and you will discover in the record books and learn that that city is a rebellious city and damaging to kings and provinces, and that they have incited revolt within it in the past. Therefore, that city was laid waste. We inform the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls finished, as a result, you will have no possession in that province beyond the river. Interesting. Accusations, again, they've, they've tried to compromise. They've tried to infiltrate that way. They've tried to do all of these other things, discouraging, frightening, frustrating. Another thing that the enemy uses is, is bringing misrepresentation, gossip, slander, all of this type of stuff. And the Bible tells us that the accuser of the brethren in Revelation, he's working night and day against us, our enemy, Satan, bringing accusation against us before God. Yeah, but they did this, they did that, they did this. Interesting in this, what, what they're saying about the past is true. And what, they're, what, this, what Satan might say about my past is absolutely true. But the blood of Jesus paid for all of that. And I, again, as born-again believers, we're justified. We stand declared righteous before a holy and righteous God. But they take these conclusions that come then from this is that they're trying to get this all set so that they'll revolt against you. They won't pay tribute to you. They won't pay their taxes against you. They won't do this. They won't do that. It, this has happened in the past, so this is what's gonna happen And laying all of this misinformation, lies, just, just gossip. Tool the enemy has used since the, since the beginning. I, and again, obviously we know God hates gossip. God hates slander, speaking ill of, of others. Bible is clear too. You don't accept an accusation. You don't hear an accusation unless there's two or three eyewitnesses saw it happen, and then okay, then we can then we can move forward and, and continue the investigation. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of his quotes was saying that when somebody would ever would come up to him and say, you know what, so and so da 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 da, and he'd stop him. He'd say, you know what, you know what, hang on a second. I have a really bad memory. So what I need you to do is go right out what you were gonna tell me and have the witnesses sign the document and then bring it to me. And that'll end gossip for the most part right there. But so he, he's, he, this is the letter that comes to them. Then the king sent an answer to Rahum, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe, the rest of the colleagues who live in Samaria and in the rest of the provinces beyond the river, peace, and now the document which you sent to us has been translated and read before me. A decree has been issued by me, and a search has been made, and it has been discovered that the city has risen up against the kings in the past, that rebellion and revolt have been perpetrated in it, that mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem, governing all the provinces beyond the river, and that tribute, custom, and toll were paid to them. So now... 
issue a decree to make these men stop work that this city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. So they have, an, they have an initial victory because he reads, he does research, he does find out that all of that past information is true. Beware of being negligent in carrying out this matter. Why should damage increase to the detriment of the king's? Then as soon as the copy of King's Artaxerxes' document was read before Rahum and Shimshai, the scribe, and their colleagues, they went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews to stop them by force of arms. So Ezra is just saying this, this, this event actually took place with Artaxerxes. These guys write a letter. Artaxerxes stopped the work on the wall. And, that, and we'll see that again later. This, but again, so that's just kind of stuck in there. Back to our story now, where we are, remember, they're starting, they're talking about this, all of this discouragement, all of these things that are going on. No edict from a king, just, just discouragement. It says they're frightened, they're discouraged, they're frustrated. Verse 24, then work on the house of God in Jerusalem ceased, and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia, which was approximately 15 years. So they get there, take this huge step of faith. They're doing everything right. I mean, like I said, we, they, they, they set things. They got first things first. They got the, the relationship with the Lord set first. They get all of the stuff. Everything is moving along. They get the foundation set. They, they worship in God. And then frustration sets in. Discouragement, people come in saying discouraging things, frustrating things, confusing things, and they give up. They give up. The work stops. 15 years. And I think there's so much to this because I know personally many people who have given up way too soon who start out at the gates and God certainly has a calling for them, have something in their lives he's placed on their hearts and they get out of the gates and they're doing things right. They're praying, they're getting together, they're meeting, they're praying, things moving forward and then the discouragement comes. Things aren't going the way that, that they thought it should be and the enemy starts the, the thoughts and man, if you were really da-da-da-da-da, if, you, you know, if you were really a Calvary Chapel, all you gotta do is put the dove on the side of the building and a thousand people are gonna be there in two weeks and you, man, you must really be bad and frustration, people talking, people saying accusations, and giving up way too soon. If God has laid something on your heart at some point, and we know this, again, Jesus said, you didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you. I have gifted you, I have called you, I've chosen you, I've gifted you. I've anointed you, I've given you a purpose. If that has happened, if God has moved that in your life and you've faced frustration, you, are, you, you keep pressing on. We talked about that this week. Keep pressing on because it is always too soon to quit until it's done or God says, I have something else for you. It is always too soon to quit. Doesn't matter what frustration you face. I see too many people give up too easily, and it is hard. I know that. I know that. Facing discouragement, facing, facing difficulties, facing, again, the hardest things 
are when people closest to you say things or do things or walk away or whatever. And I, I get that. And I'm not even, I'm not, I, I used a couple because I've had a couple of friends and I know people who have started out to do a, a church plant or a big ministry idea and it's, and it's fallen apart because they gave up because something was said or something happened. And I just want to encourage you, and no matter what it is, no matter what God calls you to, I, we'll, we'll pick up here next week, but note it, there, there are no chapter breaks. So chapter five, right away, until the second year of King Darius, when the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. Turn, turn with me real quickly to Haggai. And that's an easy one to find. If you, if you don't know where it is, go to Matthew, and then you go back a couple of books. And you could miss it because it's really short. It's only two chapters. Haggai. And do this tonight. Do this tonight or the next couple of days. Read Haggai. It's two chapters. You're going to meet him someday in heaven. And it'll be embarrassing if you have to tell him, I never read what your, your book, what you wrote. You can say, you know what? I actually did read it, and I got a lot out of it. I, I studied it. I read through it. And he'll probably say, did you go to Calvary Chapel? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> notice how Haggai starts. In the second year of Darius the king. So God moves on this man's heart. And it, reading through it, we don't have time to read through it together real quickly. I'm just going to hit a couple of high points here. But basically, God is saying, what are you doing? What are you doing there? You went there. I, I stirred in your heart. And you responded in faith. I sent you there to build, a, build my house back to get worship back to the way it's supposed to. What are you doing? That's my paraphrase. It says in verse 12, the people showed reverence for the Lord. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. And by the way, I never left. I, I am with you. And if God is with us, who can be against us, right? It doesn't matter what the discouragement might come or what somebody might say or how it might look on the outside. If God has called you and God is moving in you and, and you keep going forward because he is with you. The Lord stirred the spirit of Zerubbabel, again, stirring within them. Uh, chapter 2. They, they, they start again, start moving again in, in, in doing this. Verse four, but now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Get, take courage. I'm with you. Get back to work. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations and all will come and the wealth of all the nations and I will fill this house with glory. 
He's going to fill it with glory. He doesn't care what all of the, <laughs> no offense to anybody, he doesn't care what all the old people think about what the temple used to look like. He said, I'm going to fill this thing with my glory. I don't care what it looked like, all gold and silver and shiny. I'm the reason this place is special. And I'm going to fill it with my glory again. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. I read a one person's commentary on that is that's because Jesus is going to walk through it. This new temple, Jesus is going to walk through. He, he goes on just real quickly. That it finishes up again. Notice verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So I don't know, I'm assuming, because the Lord laid it on my heart pretty heavy, that I'm speaking to at least one person here, if not many, where God has laid something on your heart at one point in your life, and you were on fire about that, and you stepped out in faith, and you did things right. You sought the Lord. You sought other people. You were praying about it, and you were, and God was laying out steps, but something happened that, by the way, God knew was going to happen, and maybe even God ordained to happen, specifically to, 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 to redirect or to reroute or to build faith or whatever it was, or he allowed the enemy to bring discouragement, bring fear, bring whatever, but you quit. You gave up. I'm here to tell you right now, get up and get back to work because God's call on your life is not over. He has not given up on you. He wants you right now to get up, dust yourself off, because his call, his, his call on your life is irrevocable. He did not take it back. And he wants to use you, but you gotta get up. And you gotta trust that he's with you and that he will open doors that no man can shut. He wants to use you. Get back in the game. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We thank you for the fact that as your word said, Jesus, you said it right out of your mouth that you chose us and you appointed us to bear fruit for you, to bear fruit that lasts forever. And Lord, that is such a personal, a personal call that you have given to each one of us. And the enemy will try to convince that since some calls seem bigger on man's scale, that some are more important depend because of the way men look at it, that it's somehow more important in your book. But Lord, no, every one of us, that specific call couldn't be more important to you. And Lord, every one of us right here, right now, we, we confess our absolute total dependence on you for your provision, for your protection as we walk this 
walk that you've laid before us. Lord, if you're laying it on our hearts right now that we have left our first love, that we've gotten too busy in activity, but we've, our heart has wandered away from you, Lord, we, we confess that to you right now and we come back. We, we turn back to you. We repent of that, Lord, and, and give us that sweet time of, of fellowship again with you. That's our desire. Lord, if we have quit, gotten frustrated and, and stopped, Lord, would you encourage us right now to get up and to trust that you are not done because, Lord, you're not. Until you call us home until, or until you, until you tell us that the work is done, Lord, it's not. Have your way. Thank you for the examples, again, that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Read ahead, chapters five and six. It's really cool. Again, they get back up, and God works as we know he does. So God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.